You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Greetings and welcome to Domecast, the news and observer political podcast. I'm Don Vaughn of the NNO. Here with Will Doran and Jordan Schrader, also of the NNO, and Colin Campbell and Danielle Battaglia of the Insider. So the big thing going on is the return of the legislature. Um, you can say that Yay. as a movie title um, <laughs> tomorrow, and I am hyped. Who else is hyped? I'm excited. It feels like they've only been gone for like a couple days. Uh, it's been like two how months. How excited can you yeah. get? This is the, their longest break in a while, though. They, you know, took a whole two months off instead of their usual two days or two weeks. This is also my first January at the legislative building and Danielle. So this is maybe yeah. why we're uh, more hyped. So what was last January like? I think they Cold. had a ceremonial yeah. session. They left <laughs> until the end of the month and were very slow to get started doing anything. So, Well, and last year was different. Or, yeah, or I guess I'm thinking two years ago, January was different because there was actually, you know, a budget that had managed to pass and then they came in you know in the the even numbered year and we're working just you know on the kind of the, the continuing budget you know is kind of less at stake than it seems like yeah usually the short session in the even numbered years is where they do the less important stuff because they've already done the important stuff this time around they spent 10 months in town and didn't really get the important stuff done. So that's the thing they have to do now, but they're probably not going yeah, to. Yeah, it's kind of backwards. They did a whole lot of little stuff. I mean, they were there for forever. They did a lot, but none of the really the big ticket items that you know people have been talking about, watching for all year, happened. But wasn't, <laughs> yeah. it, wasn't everyone sworn in? So they all had like the excitement of being Yeah, fresh. no one gets sworn in this week except Mickey Mishaw, the new uh, one-day senator replacing Floyd McKissick. Um, but that's really the only pageantry that we can expect this week. That's a great job title. Yeah. One day senator. One day senator. It might be two days. <laughs> senator or three for days. a day. Yeah. After yeah. being a house member for how long? Thirty plus years. Thirty plus years. How does pay work on that? I don't know. I guess if you get just one one per diem, one check for a hundred dollars. <laughs> you get whatever the prorated rate of the what is it, twelve or thirteen thousand a year they get or yeah, yeah do you only cool. get that for the month? I assume you only get that for the time that you're that they're. Yeah, so we know uh, former Representative Mashaw not doing it for the money, uh, but <laughs> probably you know it's it's not bad to add senator to your resume uh, when you're. Mm, of your I think he's like eighty five, so I think his resume is set. So. Yeah, <laughs> I mean you really can't top being besties with Martin Luther King Jr. So. So well, let's talk about Mashaw then, <laughs> and the reason I know Mashaw, other than as I've mentioned before. Uh, covering Durham is I did this series about Martin Luther King's visits to Durham, which was like four or five. He was in Raleigh a lot, but he was in Durham, I think, probably the most. And he would stay with the Mashaw family. And Mickey Mashaw at the time was, I believe, a college student during a lot of it. And I remember him telling me that um, King liked Mashaw's mother's cooking and like they would have dinner table conversations. They walked to, like Mashaw, um, was with, uh, or the family was with King when he spoke at the old Hillside High School in Durham. Um, and a lot of his visits, um, they'd stay at people's houses. And he'd come to things, um, you know, going on at, at Shaw and, and Raleigh, but he came through uh, through Durham several times. So that was the first time I met Michelle, and that was probably about 10 years ago. Um, and he likes talking about, um, you know, that context of knowing Martin Luther King and what, what he thought of him. Um, so Michelle was around 
longer than maybe some of you have been alive. Oh, absolutely. In the legislature, I, mean, yeah. I, was, <laughs> I was alive. He first ran for office in the 60s. Um, so, yeah. I was not alive then. But, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so he's a name. I would think that like everybody over there um, knows him and, and him being in the other chamber. I, I mean, I think it's... For yeah, I was kind of surprised that, I mean, I, I figured they would want a caretaker for that position because they've got three candidates in a primary in March. And if you pick one of those people, you're basically putting your thumbs on the scale and saying this person gets to be the incumbent and that person mm-hmm. then probably wins unless they're really disliked by the like masses of Democrats who vote in primaries. But... Um, yeah. I wasn't expecting the caretaker to be Mickey Michelle. I did level. not. I did not I thought think it would so. be some other random. I thought it would be yeah, or somebody that wasn't um, that wasn't running. Um, but I think part of that actually has to do with the PAC endorsements, which are now. So tomorrow or Tuesday, depending on when you all are listening to this, is when um, Durham, as I'm sure a lot of you know, is is very uh, left. And, but that doesn't mean that they like each other and agree on things. And so the PACs, uh, their endorsements carry a lot of weight. And so the People's Alliance, which is one of the PACs, which I believe is majority white still, um, they have their meeting. And then the other, the biggest PAC is the uh, committee, the Durham Committee on the Affairs of Black People, which their Pierce Freelon, who's the candidate for McKissick seat, put something out saying that he got the initial endorsement from the committee and then he's waiting on the general body of the committee to vote on it, which is Thursday. Um, so I, I really actually think if all that had happened a week ago and say like the PAC endorsements were all for a particular primary candidate, I could see the Durham Democrats picking that person. Maybe, maybe not. But I think a lot of it is they didn't want just what you were saying. Like, um, Yeah. Well, I think also the, the thought, you know, if in fact the Senate is serious about putting a veto override on the calendar... Um, which sort of remains to be seen whether they'll actually do it. They've sent notice to the Democrats that it could be on the calendar tomorrow, um, but they've done that before and have, uh, as we've said, fooled us before on that. So, but if they did it, um, then having Mashad debating it along with some other, you know, longtime legislative heavyweights like uh, Toby Fitch and Dan Blue, um, you know, that would make for a fascinating debate. So I'm sure that, you know, some of the, armchair political observers like ourselves were thinking, oh, it would be great to get Mashaw back in the ring for one last big speech about budget priorities. I'm excited. Yeah. As you guys already know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do think, I, I should point out that if, uh, if they do hold the vote, I feel like it's more going to be about uh, getting Democrats on the record about uh, the budget um, because the three that they were, the Republicans were courting were likely the three Democratic senators who had voted for the budget back in June in its um, original run through the Senate, and that's Ben Clark, Don Davis, and uh, Toby Fitch. Um, And Danielle and I talked to all three of them within the last week to see where they're standing on the budget, and the answer was uh, essentially standing with the governor. So they're they're pretty much on record with that. So there's not going to be a lot of, you know, will they or won't they have will one Democrat defect and give Republicans the vote they need. It's just a question of whether you know, the Republicans want to have sort of a symbolic vote for the sake of having put everybody on the record on, on where they stand, or do they want to just let it hang out there for another few months with the potential to do it again? Well, I think the phrasing April. too, the way you said like stand with the governor is, I mean, clearly it's a, you know, you're overriding the veto from the governor, so, you know, but the way that that's being framed with party, 
loyalty and with loyalty to Cooper versus I think what some of them said when they voted for it the first time, you know, or before the the veto, what they like that's in it um, or part they like parts of what's in it. Uh, and I think that it's been, you know, pretty successful, that phrasing of standing with the governor and who's going to not stand with the governor of your own party. And then, I mean, that's I mean, campaign wise, that, that's going to and some of them got uh, pork in the original budget, right? Yeah, I mean that was sort of you could you could draw the line between the Democrats who voted in favor of the budget and the um, amount of projects in their districts that were getting funded. Um, so it was interesting to to note that that you know that deal evidently was good for the initial budget vote, but not so much for uh, the override part of the process. Because if that had been the case, then you know I think they. They would have gotten those folks who got all the pork projects on board months ago, and we would have a, a budget right now. And all that primary talk didn't really come to pass. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, there was all this talk about you know disloyal Democrats and having a Democratic primary challenger for the ones that had either voted for the budget or voted against the governor on something else. And you know, none of the folks we talked to had a primary challenger, but there's still that that's not prompted them to change their minds in any way. Mm -hmm. I think it's whatever the caucus position is too, because if you look at the discharge petitions that were filed uh, and why weren't Democrats supporting the other Democrats that filed that discharge petition for a bill, and it's because if it wasn't a, a caucus policy position, then they're like, yeah, you know, do it or not. And it's not necessarily a priority, but once they've, whatever their behind closed door agreement is, it seems like they've pretty much stayed the course with each other. Yeah, and so I was sort of absent budget vote. Like, I really, I'm not sure we're going to see much happen. We'll um, see the um, the scholarships for veterans. Yeah, that's already in the PCS for House. Yeah, that seems to be the one thing that they've definitely come out and said we're going to do is fixing this funding piece for this scholarship program for children of veterans that got funded poorly and was briefly put on hold. And there was all this finger pointing between the Cooper administration and the legislature. But in the end, you know, Cooper has taken a step to get the money flowing short term. The legislature wants to do this. Um, so it, it seems kind of like a small ball issue to bring everybody back to Raleigh for, if that's indeed all they do. But we've been down the list of the other things that they could do, um, and it doesn't seem like there's any progress on it. I mean, the um, the farm bill with its smokable hemp ban, the law enforcement agencies want that passed. So the ban goes into effect in the spring. But in talking to the sponsors of that, that's still getting hung up over some weird disagreement about skeet shooting ranges and how that should be regulated. It's a completely different provision of the farm bill. Um, so the likelihood that they can get that negotiated seems fairly small based on the folks that I've talked to. Um, there's other, you know, budget correction issues that, that seem like they need to take place. Uh, Danielle's been working on this story about the science and math campus, and I forget where that stands, but that sounds like it's fairly... Uh, time sensitive. Yeah, basically if they don't have either the budget passed or a mini budget put in place, the school cannot continue with operation costs. They're down to $5,000. So they're supposed to open August 2021 and he's telling me, well, the executive director, for lack of a better word, is telling me that if they don't get that money, they're going to have to tell their stakeholders at the end of the month, like, we're not going to be able to open in January or in August 2021. So yeah. there's a lot at stake. And that's that the new Morganton now. campus. So, yeah. you know, pretty big deal for a Durham-based school that mm -hmm. takes kids from all over the state to 
not have its planned Western expansion. Um, well, they were supposed to hire like 11 people to start recruitment and um, they have their own curriculum. So they don't have their curriculum set up right now. They don't have recruitment going on and they're supposed to have somebody oversee construction. So they're basically saying, you know, you can get kids to Durham, but how many kids want to come to Morganton? They want to be able to say, hey, this is a cool campus. You need to come here, but they don't have the staff to do it. Is they're down an, to one person right now. Is there anyone that doesn't like it or doesn't like the funding toward it? I've been told no. Like, everybody's in support of it. It's just there's no budget. I mean, that seems like a mini bill that would come up that everyone could agree on that could could come through. Uh, mini budget bill, rather. Oh. I don't know. I mean, the fun thing about, you know, committee reports means really anything. Yeah, I mean, they have the potential to do anything they want. And But what's surprising is they're not even necessarily doing some of the um, the stuff that everyone seems to agree to. Like, I, I checked into the uh, status of our Taxpayer Refund Act last week to see, like, hey, remember how we were all going to get checks in the mail because mm-hmm. there was a budget surplus and everyone was going to go spend money and be happy and <laughs> – you know, both Phil Berger and Tim Moore were the lead sponsors, so surely it was going to pass. Remember and then, that money we never got? Yeah, yeah, the checks that you didn't get for your Christmas presents, and, you know, everyone went That's hungry and starving. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I asked about that, thinking, you know, maybe that's one feel-goody thing that they can do. Um, and I was told that from the folks on the House side, which is where this is bottled up, uh, that if, if they're doing a one-day session, there's really not going to be time to do that and, and get that bill moving um, out of committee so they didn't really mean a reason um so uh, i mean i think that some of the issue is the that senate they, already passed it the senate passed it the house then tacked on a bailout for the old randy parton theater in roanoke rapids right but can't they yeah. bring it up again without any tax? yeah i mean they could they could bring up a clean bill but then i i still have not gotten a sense for why on earth you would use this to hold hostage for a failing theater bailout but obviously somebody who's pushing for that has some muscle and that's how that ended up getting together that way i I love all of this it's just kind of an education for like how the legislature works like you know the tax refund bill is being held up over some completely unrelated and to most people in the state inconsequential you know bailout Mm -hmm. with this you know theater up near the virginia border the farm act is being held up over this kind of unrelated thing about skeet ranges yeah skeet shooting you know it's just like all all of these little pet projects like get just weight these things down yeah i mean it's it's definitely the you know the old like all politics is local thing but it's yeah. really local in the state because it's yeah. not people aren't thinking of the big important statewide issues they're like well i gotta get such and such's vote and you know in that county he's gotta get this situation solved with his buddy who has a skeet range and is having trouble getting some zoning regulations passed so we've got to you know but fix for, i mean as level. far as your constituency though it, it is their it's you know it's pork and but it's it's their job to represent their county or their weird yeah. configuration of counties and i mean you can, i don't think you can blame somebody for wanting to with state government funding um, do something for their because if they didn't why would the people elect them if they're like oh you know elect me to represent um, Winston-Salem so I can make sure Wilmington gets all this stuff or whatever you know and like they're not comp- they can't be impartial and think only of statewide without at least having that that desire for re-election if nothing else for something for their own district. Now ideally maybe all these projects would all compete with each other in some kind of a grant making yeah. process but yeah. I realize that's crazy talk. <laughs> some sort of right. larger appropriations yeah. plan that everyone agreed to. What do they call that? A two year budget? But you know <laughs> as far as what their motivation is and how the system is allowed to work right now. I mean that's what they're so you know I understand why they would 
do that? Is it fair? No, you know, but is it something that is occurring? Yes. So will we see uh, people filing bills that then can come back and come up during the short session whenever they come back in April or I May or whenever? I think they're opening is? up bill filing the way it works, or at least it's worded in the resolutions that that could change if they were really feeling like you know ready to have a free for all. But I think anything new can't really be filed until the short session. They can bring up something new in the form of a conference report, but that's, you know, they get leadership on board and can can go that route as opposed to, you know, starting the whole process again of, of filing and going through all the committees and chambers. So can you even do the mini budget bill then? You could because you could just, I mean, if the powerful people want to do it, they can do it and they can figure out a, you know, work around the system. But if I'm, you know, backbench representative such and such, and I've got something that I think should get passed, ain't going to happen. A little more efficient in uh, in January than it is in, you know. <laughs> yeah, the, the normal course of things, I guess. Yeah. I mean, by the time you guys are listening to this, we're having this conversation on Monday. And depending on what happens Tuesday or Wednesday, and if you're listening on Thursday, and all of it could be, you know, things went through or they didn't. But So you can test to see if any of our, yeah, predictions, if, if our predictions were completely worthless or we do or don't know what we're talking about. But that's the thing, again, with the state government and how it – it actually works, not how necessarily things should be, uh, is that you can have a lot of surprises and things get passed that weren't even, t- I mean, who knows? Like, I have, I have no idea. Do, what do you think would be like some random topic that's come up like a year ago that, that all of a sudden would show up in a committee report? Oh, you never know. I mean, you know, you'll see insurance bills get gutted and become, you know, like gambling regulation bills or something like that. All right, gambling. Well, with the gambling. Yeah. We could make our headliner of the week that potential, what's your potential bill? um, Yeah, what is your your surprise bill of the week? (laughs) Which zombie bill got voted down last time and it's going to make a sudden resurgence in the middle of January? One thing with the tax refund, though, is that, you know, we talked about if being held up in the house, but still need Cooper to sign on to it. And yeah, and Democrats many, voted against it and last it, time. Yeah, I mean, there are many reasons why if it made it through, you know, the the chambers that uh, Cooper would say, obviously we need this money for this or that, or, you know, teacher raises, Medicaid expansion, things that are important to him and others. So, yeah. well, you know. But we're behind our pure states on the giving people money thing. I looked it up. Uh, Virginia had taxpayer refund checks go out last year because something to do with the Federal tax law changes meant the state had more money, which I think is probably the case here too. South Carolina did it because someone there won the big Powerball jackpot, and then the state got a huge chunk of money, and the legislature there was like, instead of us pocketing our share of the Powerball, let's give everybody a little Powerball magic. Aww. <laughs> oh, magic. Yeah, I want some Powerball magic in my mailbox. That'd be nice. Yeah. I hope it says that too on the envelope Powerball magic. Yeah. <laughs> So there's nothing they would do on uh, voter ID, is there, before uh, coming back in for the spring? Um, That's I mean, pending the results you know, of the court the, case. They, they could do anything, but I don't know at this point if there's really anything that they could do that would necessarily make Solve a difference. what the judge's problem is. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, she hasn't really the, said like certain provisions necessarily, it's just for the overall intent, so it's not like they can say, well, if we just took out this one requirement, then we're good. Right, exactly. She said basically just kind of the whole entire situation surrounding the bill was racially tinged, or appears to be racially tinged, and is therefore, you know, untenable. You know, yeah, she didn't point to one specific thing and said, you know, if only, you know, this one subsection of Section 3 wasn't there, then it would be fine, and they could just take that out. No, it's not that kind of thing. 
So we know that for the March primary, we definitely won't have voter ID requirements. Those won't be in place. The, the question really is just for the general election is, are we going to have voter ID for then? And it really seems like that's just kind of up to the courts now. I don't know that there's really anything that the legislature could do um, to convince you know this judge or any judge otherwise at this point. Just kind of have to let it play out. Very confusing. I got my uh, Board of Elections how to vote with voter ID mailing this weekend. So those did go out. Yeah, at least one of them because there was one and there's a second piece that they stopped. So yeah, one one had gone out, I think, in earlier mid December. So your mail might be a little behind. Well, I moved three (laughs) times in a month or two times. Yeah, your mail's probably finally catching up with you, but you're probably not the only one, which means there are some people who are going to end up confused. I think, I mean, I know like, you know, there are rules about what you can talk about on the floor, but whether they do it on Twitter or however else or their campaign emails. I could see that a lot of lawmakers bringing up stuff they are mad about, like the voter ID or something that's not being. I, th- I really think this could also be. So you think this could be the festive session? We could just have an airing of grievances, and that <laughs> would be could, that. It could be. It could be like a hey, don't forget about this. Uh, so you know, we already got the press release that Mom's Demand is coming, you know, to the legislature tomorrow. And does that mean that there's going to be any sort of bill passed, you know, related to gun regulations? No, no. I'll answer okay. that question for right. now. Right, but this, but this is the opportunity of like, you know, being like, hey, this is important, and I think a lot of people, especially people who are running, are going to use whatever is coming up. If there's, you know, protesters or a moment on the floor where you are in your parameters or committee and can you know, make some comment about something and then, you know, quote yourself and like your, you know, campaign email saying like, you know, I am fighting for you for this and that sort of thing. So I think we're going to see a lot of, you know, different variations of grandstanding or just trying to like highlight what's important to them that has nothing to do with what is actually going to get done, like, you know, this week potentially. That's a good Um, thought to uh, wrap that part of the segment. You want to do our our headliner of the week? All right, we'll be back with our headliners of the week. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, so headliner of the week. I'm going first because I'm talking and so I'm just claiming that I get shotgun on this. Um, so I'm going to go with Mickey Mashaw. It's obvious, but uh, he's my headliner of the week because he's the one new return face at the legislature this week, um, uh, filling in for the rest of McKissick's uh, term, but not actually his whole term, just until the, someone wins in the primary, and then he said he'll resign and they'll appoint somebody else. So Mick, uh, Mashaw is my person. Right. Headliner. Will, you want to jump in next? Sure. Uh, I'll go for Tom Steyer, the uh, billionaire Democratic presidential candidate who was in Raleigh and Durham and Goldsboro this weekend. Uh, He was coming in off a strong poll in South Carolina where he came in second place in the primary. I mean, he was beating Bernie Sanders in South Carolina. He was beating Elizabeth Warren. He was beating Pete Buttigieg, everybody but Joe Biden. Um, And that kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, he's been spending a ton of money on ads, um, but... 
you know, we'll see if North Carolina voters are, you know, anything like our neighbors to the south in the Democratic primary. And, you know, the uh, the styrmentum is real. <laughs> styrmentum. <laughs> Sounds kind of like styrofoam. <laughs> Jordan, how's your name? Well, uh, styrmentum took Tom Steyer to McDougal Terrace in Durham. And um, that has been um, the focus of a lot of our coverage this week. Uh, so my headliner is McDougal Terrace. Um, for those who haven't been following the coverage of this, um, it's, it's a really sad story about uh, uh, carbon monoxide that has been found at, these, uh, at this public housing development in Durham. And hundreds of people evacuated um, from, from the public housing and um, sent to hotels. They uh, found out that they're going to be in those hotels for at least another week at a public meeting um, over the weekend that our colleague Anna Johnson covered. And, um, you know, there was a lot of talk about airing of grievances. There was a lot of people um, venting at this meeting about um, terrible conditions that they have to put up with in public housing. These developments like McDougald have failed uh, one after another inspection from HUD, and uh, apparently not a whole lot is done about it. There's some long-term plans. Um, meanwhile, there's been uh, a couple of infants who have died. The initial uh, findings from the autopsies are that they were not caused by the carbon monoxide, but we haven't heard exactly what the causes of them are. So um, we're waiting to find out more about that. Um, but uh, McDougal Terrace is my headliner. All right, and I'm taking uh, the uh, legislative comeback kids, which I wrote about last week. Um, came up with a list of 11 former legislators. There may have been more that uh, are so far in the legislative history that I didn't even recognize their names, but uh, folks who served in the past and are running for election this year to get their old seats back. Uh, about five of them are rematches of people who lost in 2018 and are still sad that they lost, so they're gonna run again against the person who beat them, who is now the incumbent in 2020. Um, so that should make for some uh, fun debates of people who already know uh, what a grueling, fun time serving in Raleigh in the General Assembly is, uh, but, but want to do it again. So uh, I'll just uh, call them all the legislative comeback kids because I don't want to have to name drop 12 people. Do it. <laughs> Danielle, do you want to give a headliner or do you want to vote on the four previous headliners and we'll figure out uh, how to vote with all of us? So we'll you, see. You know. Mine would have sided with you because just having a one-day senator is fascinating Could be to me. All right, I think we uh, can we declare. Uh, well, yeah. All right. Well, we I, need I we need one more for a majority. <laughs> yeah, I, I can second that. We need a third. Know. Okay, we've got three to two or. Sure. Uh, okay. Agreed. We clearly don't understand Robert's rules of order, but uh, we'll, we'll roll with it. Do we have a supermajority? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I think it's unanimous. <laughs> all right, Mickey Mashaw is our headliner of the week. Thank you for listening to Domecast. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the daily print edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.